0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit
1: our website at mymillcreek.com. Our passage today is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. You can find them in the Seatback Bibles in front of you there on page 571, or it's on the back of the handout that perhaps you grabbed on the way in. Again, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. So, Jesus, now we do thank you uh, for the words that we're about to hear. Thank you for Jarrett, for his ministry here in Kansas City. And thank you now that we get to uh, sit under his teaching. Father, may, may it be clear. May we do the hard work of listening well so that we can be not just hearers of your word but doers. And we pray this in your name, dear Christ. Amen. Good
0: morning, Mill Creek. How are you this morning? Good. It's good to be with you all this morning. I just want to start out by saying thank you to all of you guys. Mill Creek has been a great partner for us at Mission Adelante, I think going on 15 years now. It's been more years than I can even count. So we really appreciate that. Um, I want to talk to you guys this morning about something that I have learned over the years. Um, It's become more and more clear uh, through our own process of being missionaries overseas and then serving in an urban context with people from other places before. And that's just what does it mean to love people from all places. And the beginning of this just starts with our own story We had been, I had been a pastor, one of the pastors at Heartland Community Church for several years, and then just sensed that God was calling us to go to places where the gospel wasn't as accessible. And so we ended up on our way to South America, to a country called Bolivia, right in the middle of South America, with an organization called South America Mission. And so they send us, uh, first things first, they sent us to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. We had had a little bit of high school Spanish On the front end but we didn't speak very fluently if anybody's had high school Spanish you kind of know how that is and so we had to go to Costa Rica and I still remember we had two daughters at the time four and two and they were young and they sent us and we packed up everything we had we had all these 70 pound bags back then you could take a 70 pound bag on an airplane and we were loaded our whole life we were moving down there and so we land in San Jose, Costa Rica, and I still remember the feeling of getting off that plane in that airport, how different everything seemed. Everything smelled different, everything looked different, the language was different, the people were different. It was um, just from the moment we got there, we felt like, wow, we're not in Kansas anymore. And so here we go, we go through customs, we get out, and we smell the, the Costa Rican air, it was night, and they had two vans, one for all of our luggage and one for our family, and they drove us through San Jose. The Central Valley in San Jose has mountains all around it, and so I was just looking, trying to see everything I could, soak it all up, and there were the lights up on the mountains and the hills, and everything just seemed different. And so we arrive at our house, they drop us off, we unpack our bags just enough to be able to make our beds, and we put our kids to bed. First night, in Costa Rica, in a foreign country. We slept well, and I woke up at the crack of dawn. 5 o'clock in the morning, San Jose, Costa Rica is alive, and everybody's up and moving around. The roosters are crowing, and the motorcycles were driving up our street, running right over this manhole cover that would go clink, 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 clink. And so I was up. Everyone else was still asleep. But I start looking through the house we were in and seeing if I could find food for the family. Well, we needed breakfast, and there was no food in the house. So I had seen a bakery the night before as we were driving in a few blocks away. So I walked to the bakery thinking I'm going to get a dozen donuts. I walk in, and of course, I look around. The first thing I notice is everybody's walking around with these metal trays and tongs. And I'm thinking, I can't just go up to the counter and ask for a dozen donuts. I have to figure out where to find a tray and where to find the tongs. and. So I kind of get the system down and I look around, I'm like, there's no donuts here. In fact, it all looks like kind of this dry bread. I'm not sure if my family will like it, but I found some different things. I picked it out, I filled my bag, or I, I put it on my tray and took it up to the front. And somehow I figured out kind of how to complete this transaction. And so I'm walking home with my bag of dry bread. I had hunted and I'd gathered and I was taking food home for my family. First small victory in the whole process there. So I'm walking home, and right as I'm about to get to our house, my neighbor, next-door neighbor, comes walking out. He's a Costa Rican man, and this is, like, I start to get excited as I see him walk out. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to meet my neighbor. This is going to be great, and now I can use my high school Spanish. So I'm rehearsing in my head, hola. Como estás? Buenos dias, right? These basic phrases. And so I'm ready as we go up. He reaches out his hand and I reach out my hand and we shake hands and he goes, Hola, ¿cómo le va? And I'm stunned. I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to say. I didn't understand a word. It just sounded like it all ran together. And so we stand there shaking hands in this uncomfortable moment and I didn't, nothing came out. Of my mouth, And so he just repeats himself only a little bit louder. Como le va? And still in that place, and I just, at this point, it's just like, I, I got nothing. And so we shook hands, and we smiled, and he nodded, and he walked on his way. And I went into the house with my tail between my legs. I'd failed my first Spanish test in Costa Rica, and I succeeded in feeling like a fish out of water, an outsider someone else's country wasn't the last time I would feel like an outsider in fact a couple weeks later my wife and I decided we got up the courage to go to church and the church was just a few blocks away from our house and so it was a large church and we walked there with our little girls and we showed up right in the middle of the service and so we conspicuously walked in everyone turns their heads and looks at us and we just kind of sit down quietly. We had missed the worship time and we were there for the preaching, which of course we picked up a word here and there. But in general, we liked the vibe of church that day. And we thought to ourselves, gosh, I think there's a second service. And so if we uh, if it's going to start pretty soon, we'll stay for the second service and see how the worship time is too. And So, but but the only problem was our girls were a little antsy. They, you know, they were starting to get hungry. And so we thought, if it's going to start soon, we'll go ahead and stay. But if not, we'll go home. And so my wife got the task of going and asking this nice lady what time the service is. She had just had a Juco Spanish course right before we left. So she was confident and ready to go. She hadn't been shot down by the next door neighbor yet. And so she walks up to the lady And she wants to say, when is the service? And she goes, a que hora es la cerveza? (laughs) What time is the beer? And the lady looks at her with this confused look like, we don't serve beer at this church. (laughs) And so we left. We didn't stay for the second service, and we didn't go back to that church. And then a couple weeks later, we did get the courage to go to a different church. And while we were there, the first thing that happened, we walked in the door, and we were greeted by this couple named Edwin and Sadie. They were a Costa Rican couple, and they didn't speak any English. And you know how our Spanish was at that point. So some miraculous way, we were able to communicate. It was the language of loving your neighbor. They made us feel welcome. They made us feel comfortable. And somehow, through body language, through hard work, we were able to communicate. And the next thing you know, we are invited over to their house for a barbecue with some other families from the church. So we arrive, and we're just soaking this up. Okay, this is great. Now we're eating chicharrones on the grill for the first time, and it was a beautiful time, and it started a friendship that lasts even to this day. We would go on day trips with them, hike volcanoes with them. At one point, Edwin could see that my Spanish was improving a little bit, and he goes, Jaime, they call me Jaime in Spanish, he goes, Jaime, um, you're learning classroom Spanish. You need to get some more conversation practice, so let's meet together every week and practice your Spanish. And so we started meeting together every week, and I was loving that. Of course, that, that's why I was there. I was trying to learn learn Spanish. And so we would eat, we'd go out to these restaurants and just practice Spanish. The thing was, though, he had to go out of his way every time we would hang out with him. Uh, we didn't do transportation. We didn't have a vehicle. We didn't know really how, how the system worked very well. So he would drive and pick us up every time. And if we went back to his house, it was 15 minutes each way, so that's a 30-minute trip. And then to drop us off a, another 30-minute round trip, it wasn't until later that I started to realize and appreciate how much out of his way he was going every time he wanted to spend time with us. That's an hour total, two round trip trip uh, two round trips to spend time with us. I wouldn't spend an hour every week to spend time with my best friend driving, you know. It was later that I began to feel and really, you know, appreciate what they had done we started out feeling like outsiders in their country and they made us feel like insiders. They gave us a sense of we belong here. This is where we have people that we know. Towards the end of our time in Costa Rica, uh, Edwin finally trusted us to get to his house without uh, without him coming to pick us up. Our Spanish had improved and we, uh, so he he gives me his address. It's not Like here, where it's 251 North 15th Street, they use landmarks. So the address in Costa Rica is, and this is wherever you are, it's something like in San Francisco de los Rios, from the bread store on the corner of the main street, you go 200 meters south, 75 meters to the west, and it's the yellow house with black gate. So he wrote it all out for me, and just before the taxi driver came, he calls me and he says, oh, I forgot to tell you, Jaime. Don't let that taxi driver charge you more than X amount of colones. Later on, when I was reflecting on that and our time in Costa Rica, I realized not only had Edwin and Sadie befriended us, made us feel welcome, given us a sense of belonging, but they were also protecting us. Edwin wanted to make sure that while we were in his country, while we were in his city, that people treated us well, no one took advantage of us they were protecting us and in our processing and reading things started to pop out to me in scripture about these types of themes that i had never seen before i had been to seminary i had read the bible a lot and studied it in different contexts but there were things that i had never seen and in fact if you had asked me before some of these experiences who does god show call us to show special compassion to I might have given you an answer that said something like, uh, maybe widows, orphans, maybe the poor. After this experience, I started seeing it was as though somebody had gone into my Bible and written in the word immigrants everywhere. Almost every place in the Old Testament that widows and orphans are mentioned, immigrants are mentioned with them. It's not just two, this is a threesome. There are three Widows, orphans, immigrants, immigrants, orphans, widows, over and over again. And it was surprising to me. It's like when you get a new car and all of a sudden you start seeing that same car everywhere else. It's like, wow, I didn't know there were so many red Hondas. A few years ago, I did a little study on the Hebrew word for immigrant. It's ger. We would transliterate it, G-E-R, in English. It's used... 92 times in the Old Testament. 92 times. That's a a significant amount. It's not an obscure theme. It's just something that pops up over and over and over again. And you ask yourself, why did God care so much about immigrants? Well, the reason is because the entire story of the Old Testament, of God's people, is an immigration story. From day one, when God calls Abraham, to leave this, his own city, and go to a land that he would show him, God's people began to migrate. And you see it over and over as they're moving towards the promised land. Abraham himself, Isaac, and Jacob, you get to Joseph, he's forcibly migrated. Sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up a slave in Egypt. Well, we all know the story. He makes it to the top, and at a time in famine his own family members come seeking help in Egypt. And they end up staying in Egypt and the family grows. And then we know hundreds of years later that they were enslaved in Egypt again and made to work hard. And then the immigration story continues when God takes his people and frees them from slavery in Egypt and sends them out again, now 40 years in the desert, looking for a promised land, a people on the move. No wonder God cares so much about immigrants. His own people had that experience over and over again. To be honest with you, I mean, then you've got um, the, the exile in Babylon, the exile in Assyria. It's, again, God's people displaced, moved because of war, moved because of different situations that are happening. There's a whole book of the Bible written about, written about and named after Ruth, right? An immigrant from Moab. The story of Ruth and Naomi. Then Jesus himself had to leave his area and go to, go to Egypt when he was young to flee persecution. Over and over, this is a big theme in scripture and i had never seen it until i experienced some of that myself and sometimes that's what it takes but i think god wants us to be able to learn to see the experiences of other people without us having to do it sometimes ourselves right i want to shift gears here there was a moment when jesus was um, was teaching and somebody asked him what is the greatest commandment we just read that passage and I want to focus on this response of his and just kind of pick out some things here from this passage that are really important that I've, that I've seen. So they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Okay, he could have stopped right there, right? He's just answered the question. He's answered what is the greatest, but he doesn't stop right there. He continues on, he says, that that, this is the, first, the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing I really want to draw out here is the significance of the fact that Jesus gave a two-part answer to a one-part question. The idea here is that Jesus' question, or the question that was asked of him, what is the greatest, couldn't be answered with just one. Jesus answered it with two because the two are so intricately connected. He says, what's the greatest? Love God, love neighbor. The two are connected, they're intertwined. You cannot say that you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Scripture is clear about that, not only here but in other places as well. Loving neighbor is our greatest manifestation of our love for God. The two are intricately connected. Love God and love neighbor. Now, I want to focus on a little phrase here. This last phrase of this second commandment here, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This phrase, as yourself, sometimes with our modern psychology approach to interpreting, we might say, well, that means you need to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at with this. When he said, love your neighbor as yourself, what he was trying to say is you need to be able to have the imagination to put yourself in your neighbor's shoes and think about how would you want to be loved if you were in their place. That's not easy to do. So this call to love our neighbor is, requires more than just an immediate act. It requires imagination. It requires effort. It requires empathy. It requires the ability to see ourselves through our neighbor's eyes. And see the situations a lot of times that our neighbors in through their eyes and love them. And for me, that happened in Costa Rica through my own experience of being an outsider, being a foreigner in somebody else's country. Love your neighbor as yourself. That as yourself is such a key part of this. Such a key part. I want to focus now on the last line of this is sometimes it's easy to just kind of overlook this but after jesus says love god and love your neighbor as yourself then he says on these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets that's a significant statement as if this wasn't already lifted up enough by being the answer to the question what is the greatest commandment now jesus is saying everything else in our old testament connects back to these Everything else is connected to them. This is so important. It's the interpretive lens through the rest of, for the rest of the Old Testament. View it through this lens. Love God, love neighbor. The weight of this is so strong. Jesus says. So in a different situation, when Jesus was teaching... Um, And the same topic comes up. Jesus, you know, it doesn't surprise us that he talked about this topic more than once, but this topic of loving God and loving neighbor comes up, and somebody there in the audience, you know, is processing this, and he asks him the question, who then is my neighbor? And I think that's a really important question. It's a really important question. He was maybe asking it just to justify himself, but... It is an important question for us to understand, and Jesus gives a very wise answer. He tells a story like he often does, and it's a famous story, one we're familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? I want to go through this story with you again real quick. So just imagine Jesus' audience, and it's probably mostly Jewish people, a lot of maybe teachers of the law, Pharisees, other people around him. They're testing him constantly trying to trap him in something that he says or does that's wrong so they can have um, basis for accusing him. And so here's his audience, and so Jesus starts out telling the story. There's a guy, and this guy's probably assumed to be Jewish, right? And so he takes out from Jerusalem on a trip, and he's walking along the road headed to Jericho, which They knew the road. They'd probably walked it themselves and they understood it could be a dangerous road. And in fact, that's exactly what happens in the story. The man who's walking gets assaulted. He gets beat up. He gets stripped naked. He gets everything taken from him and he gets left for dead in the ditch. Okay, so far, so good. Jesus' hearers are tracking. They're understanding the story. They're going, okay. And they're probably even anticipating where this is headed. At least they think they are. Somebody's going to come along and help them, and that's loving neighbor, right? So Jesus continues the story, and then he introduces the next character who happens to be a priest. So they're going, okay, great. The priest, he knows he knows the Bible. He knows the Old Testament, the Torah. He knows what this all looks like. And so he comes along, and he encounters the man. They're tracking with him, and then all of a sudden something happens. Jesus throws his first curveball in the story. The priest walks right around the man and keeps on going. He doesn't help him. There's a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a pause for everybody as they process what just happened in Jesus' story here. This priest, they're probably going through their mind going, why would he do that? And then they might have some reasoning that they're starting to resonate with, maybe... You know, in our culture, we might think, well, he was too busy to stop. That probably wasn't the case in that culture. But it could have been that everybody knew that that was a dangerous road, and that guy was like, you know what, if I linger here too long to help this guy, I might get assaulted. Sometimes loving our neighbor requires us to take a risk. It also could be the fact that, uh, you know, the priest had duties in the temple, and if he's going to stop and touch a bloody guy, now he has to go through this cleansing ritual in order to become clean ceremonially again in order to do his job in the temple. And so it's possible that he had a religious reason for not loving his neighbor. Let that sink in for a second. Sometimes people have religious reasons for not loving their neighbor, and that's when we miss the point. So the priest goes on, and his audience now is uncomfortable with the story. They're not liking it anymore. The next person introduced in the story is a Levite. And a Levite from the priestly, priestly line also would be expected to know the Old Testament well. And so he comes along, and they're probably now going, I don't like where this is going. And exactly, just what they thought, Jesus says he walks right on by too for whatever reasons he may have had. So he walks by doesn't help the man so now everybody's uncomfortable as they often were when Jesus told stories and Jesus throws the final big curveball into this he introduces the last character who happens to be a Samaritan now this falls heavy on everyone listening now their blood's boiling because Samaritans and the Jews were enemies they did not associate with one another. The, uh, the, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. The Samaritans had a different religion. They were of a different race. They had a different culture. All of these things. And they did not associate with one another. And so Jesus then continues the story and says the Samaritan man comes along and he stops when he sees the man he bends over and he cleans his wounds and bandages the man and he helps him now you've got this image of a samaritan man helping a jewish man he puts him on his donkey and they go to the next city and the man continues to take care of him in this inn he leaves him there and he goes to the Before he leaves and continues, he goes to the innkeeper and he said, listen, take care of this man for me. Take care of him for me. In fact, here's my credit card. Whatever expenses you incur in caring for him, just put it on my card. And he goes on. He went so far out of his way to help this man, and he was a Samaritan. And at the end of the story, Jesus looks at the man who had asked the question and I could be reading into this, but the man couldn't, when Jesus asked who was the neighbor to the man who was hurt, he couldn't even respond and say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. This has special significance to us, to me personally, as I process what loving neighbor looks like, because sometimes, friends, neighbor looks like somebody who is of a different religion, a different race, a different culture. When Jesus wanted to hold up what does loving our neighbor look like, this is the story he told. It lands pretty hard. Who has a favorite verse in Leviticus? Raise your hand. I do, actually. I have a favorite verse in Leviticus, which I'm going to share with you guys here in a minute. But when Jesus talked about loving God and loving neighbor, he wasn't making up that answer. It wasn't something that he just invented on the spot. He was drawing on the Old Testament. In fact, uh, that greatest commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, comes directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament for Jews. In fact, it's called the Shemad Yisrael, and they recite it every day in their morning prayers and their evening prayers. And so then the second greatest commandment also comes directly from the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 19, about half the chapter is devoted to unpacking what it looks like to love our neighbor in different situations. And we get to 1933 and 34, and we land on a passage that I just really love. I want to I look at it with you real quick here. It says, when a foreigner, that's that word ger, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. Okay, so that's the first thing that he says in there. Don't mistreat them. Be kind to them. Treat them well. They're different. They're from a different place. Their language may be different, whatever. Their circumstances are different. Don't mistreat them. And then it says the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Okay, now we're even upping the ante. It's not just don't mistreat them. It's treat them just like you would your other neighbors right? Just like you would anyone else who lives near you. And then here comes the, the famous line, you shall love them as yourself. Exact wording, exact wording from that uh, second commandment. And I love it because it's, it's God connecting, and Jesus, you know, he told the story of the Good Samaritan to show it, a person of a different culture, different religion, different race, and now directly applied also to immigrants in the Old Testament as well in Leviticus. You shall love them as yourself. And what's interesting here is that um, the as-yourself part gets played out in the very next part of this verse. For you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. You guys connect that dot? For you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. You don't even have to do much work to imagine this, what it looks like to love an immigrant in your midst. Because you experienced that. You are foreigners in Egypt yourselves. You know what it you've walked in those shoes. Love them as yourself. And then he ends, and I don't want to overlook this last part of the verse because he he stamps it. I am the Lord your God, he says. This has authority. These verses, it's not just Moses making this up. I am the Lord your God. He puts his stamp of authority on this and says, this matters. This means something. This is significant. I am the Lord your God. Several years ago, as I close, I want to share with you guys a, uh, a poem that I, that I wrote several years ago. So... So as we started out, you know, we finished our time in Bolivia. We were there for almost 2 years and we came back and we just got it done this in our hearts. Showed us what it looked like to um, to walk in someone other someone else's shoes. He had shown us what it feels like to be loved well when we were outsiders to be made to feel like insiders and so we came back with this desire to do that for people in our own context. And so we started we started an english class in our dining room for our neighbors we moved up to kansas city kansas to a em- largely immigrant neighborhood and you know started an english class for our neighbors and then kids programs and kids clubs and mission adelante grew out of that and along the way um, we encountered great partners but we also encountered some things that were disappointing to me personally as i processed that and that was the response of some christians who had negative attitudes towards immigrants. And it was painful, and it was also very sad. And so I wrote this, uh, this poem kind of in response to, to some of the, the, those feelings. So I want to close with this and share this with you. It's called Immigration Tears. Rain falls like tears from heaven, crying for the pain of millions, whom God loves and are created in his image. Living to the south, Cycles of poverty perpetuate and the stench of government corruption poisons progress. Violence devastates viability, work and wages wither. On mission trips, we say, wow, they're so happy in their simple life. But in believing so, we minimize their strife. We choose to view their suffering as a blessing while knowing inside that we could never live like that. We somehow see ourselves as different and this blinds us to their plight and stops us short of action. They're now our neighbors trying to escape what we could never bear. They've left children and wives, and they've risked their lives to make a future for them and to leave despair. We're angry. We say go back. We look at them with disdain and demonstrate the compassion we lack. What's ours is ours, we feel justified in declaring. We're blessed by God, and we don't like sharing. Wait in line. Follow the rules. Learn our language, we shout, not realizing or caring that broken laws have shut them out. If you're a doctor, welcome in, or if your family member is a citizen. If not, you can try your luck, win the lottery, or you're simply stuck. It's economics, we say, as our hoarding hearts betray the fact that we were not sincere when in their land we shed a tear for the blessings that destroy and the poverty they enjoy. Politics and Christianity, now mixed, make it hard to draw the line between secular and divine. Complexities build a web of confusion in our minds. How does Christian thought and action address the situation in distress? Obey the law, some say, is the rule that wins the day. Not to slight this right command, but what about us who were born in this land? Does not the Lord this law decree that love our neighbor is priority? What's our response to our neighbor's pain? How about mercy, not disdain? Of course, there are sinners, as are we. We need the truth to set us free. The greatest commandment cannot be ignored, and without the gospel, we can't be restored. It's the mission field, you see, coming here to you and me. Let us not in blindness miss the hypocrisy of all of this, to visit them in their homes and say, Jesus loves on one day, and then the next, when they move in on our block, to say, go home and bolt the lock. The rain again is falling down, God crying for us Christians now, not for suffering or for pain, but for missing the point, an ugly stain. Let us repent and turn around. God, change our hearts and renew us now. Give us compassion and hearts of grace. Help us not to turn our face from you or those who need to taste the news of Christ, his saving love, and skies that clear from clouds above. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that pierces so deeply, that is so powerful. We thank you for the way that you challenge stories. We thank you for the way you demonstrate what loving all people from all places looks like. We just we pray, Father, for the same love. We pray for the ability to have that imagination to see ourselves in the shoes of others and love them as we would want to be loved. Thank you for Mill Creek and their partnership in the work and the gospel. I pray you'd bless this church and I pray that you would make us all more loving in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at MyMillCreek.com.